Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. So Puerto Rico is a beautiful place. It's a lush island. It's great for surfing. It's got a culture. Like you feel like you've really gone somewhere far and you don't need a passport, which honestly I do really enjoy. It's a beautiful island. The people are amazing. The food is amazing. The water, the beaches, the vibe. It's a great place. It really is. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tarek El Moussa is an American real estate investor and TV personality. He's best known for co-hosting HGTV's Flip or Flop alongside his ex-wife, Christina Hall. Tarek is here to talk about his journey in real estate and his life. His new book is called Flip Your Life. Great, great read. Definitely, this is one you're going to want to listen to. This is Just Be with Tarek El Moussa. Let's get into it. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm okay. Um, I have been reading about you, and um, I guess it's obviously I've heard about you and heard your name, but um, as happens with many people, I then start reading about them, and I'm like, holy shit, this guy's (laughs) had a life. It's been interesting. Yeah. So um, you seem to be pretty transparent and out there about everything you've experienced, um, maybe even more so now than ever. But that's something that really jumped off the page for me. Yeah. You know, you know, looking back in the last 20 years of my life, I'll look at that. You know, there, there have been a lot of struggles, a lot of ups, a lot of downs. Um, and you know, I'm still here, still working, still motivated, still thriving. And that's really what my new book's about. It's about flipping your life. And I really talk about, it doesn't matter how bad your life is. You know, we all go through shit. We all go through some really, really hard times. And, and it's what you do during, during those times is what determines your future. You know, most people, something bad happens in their life, you know, and sometimes they'll waste years or even decades dwelling on negative past experiences. And, and I'm a big believer in just acceptance, accepting your situation, accepting that, you know, life's not fair. And because life's not fair, you got to do the best you can with what you got and you got to keep going. Yeah. And 
reinventing yourself. And I guess you're, I'm very much like that where whatever's happening as brutal as it is, even when it's happening, I realize that like there's meaning to it and that there will be, I think of it as golf, like golf holes. You're in, you're at what hole are you at? Are you at the fourth hole? Sometimes you stay there forever. Sometimes you go backwards, but hopefully to get through the game. Um, so you always knew you wanted to be in real estate. That was something that you thought of young. Uh, no, I, I didn't actually know I always wanted to be in real estate. Um, when I was an uh, 18, 19-year-old kid, I was dating a girl and her family uh, were real estate investors. And her dad would tell me war stories from the 1960s, how he'd play poker and lose houses on hands and these wild stories. Uh, unfortunately, he liked gambling, especially on horses. And he didn't have much at the time that I met him. Um, at the time, I was actually selling kitchen knives, lost my lead book one day, so put myself out of business standing at an ATM in a parking lot, asking myself, what's next? I looked over and there was a crooked sign flapping in the wind. It said, wise old owl real estate school. So I thought to myself, you know, if I can sell knives, I could probably sell houses. And that's how I got started. Oh, wow. And do you love real estate? Like, do you love the game of it? And it is, I mean, you're talking about a horse gambler. I grew up at the racetrack. Um, being a I would say it's a side hustle. Like it's a passion of mine. I love to invest in real estate and I do, I have flipped houses sort of intentionally. I want to talk to you about the psychology of that and the decisions in that. But do you, um, it is like, it is like a gamble sometimes. I mean, calculated, but there, you know, you can't predict the top or the bottom and sometimes you get screwed. Yeah. You know, I mean, it depends on what you uh, qualify as screwed, right? So if you're investing over 20 years and two of those 20 years didn't go so well, mm -hmm. did you get screwed or did you do really well? Well, I say you did really, really well. Mm -hmm. I say the analogy all the time. If I gave you a million dollars 20 times and you went to Vegas and you only won 18 times, would you still go? Yeah, it's so true. It's it, that's that's very true. It's true because I sometimes think about the, the one apartment that I lost on, which bothers me. But you're right. I've sold probably six, seven places and done, done well. So that's true. Exactly. It's the averages and it's the fear that prevents people from getting in the game. And that fear prevents them from building wealth. And we all know we need to be buying real estate. And the funny thing is, you know, most people, when they get older, their entire net worth comes from their primary residence. So imagine if everyone that owned a home just bought one or two more, what would those golden years look like? Well, that's a good question. You flip. So do you believe in really keeping real estate? Do you believe in a combination? Meaning some people invest in real estate so it's an income producing asset that's going to throw off money every month. Some people want to like get in and get out. I like the get in and get out, you know, holding a couple of things, but I'm not a person that psychologically wants to hold so many places. And I want to know, but many people I know do think that you should hold the assets yeah. for, what do you think? 100 million percent hold the assets. The reason I got into flipping houses was so I can make money so I can buy real estate. <sighs> okay. Know. So today I own uh, a little over 200 rental properties, um, you know, over well over a thousand apartments. We're developing self-storage. We're developing multifamily. But here's the most important thing I've learned over the years. You buy it, you set it and you forget it. I mean, I look at all these deals I flipped years ago. I literally could have stopped flipping houses eight years ago and just held the ones I had and probably would have made more money than flipping almost a thousand houses. If you're renting them out or if you're just holding them because of the direction the market's gone, because if you're not renting them out and renting them out means you have to be a landlord. So like I had a 4,000 square foot apartment in New York City that I was never going to rent out that I was paying, 
you know, a lot a year on. So I had to, I wanted to let it go because I felt like it's just sucking up income. What do you think about that? Oh, 100%. I would never have an asset sitting there not receiving cash flow. Okay. And, and I th- yeah, okay. yeah. And I think a lot of people get confused about what, what investing is. Like, oh, I don't want the headaches of holding and this and that. The only time you have headaches is if you create the headaches, meaning if you get involved. As a real estate investor, you're not a property manager. You shouldn't be talking to tenants. You shouldn't be worrying about repairs. You hire people to do that. And your job is to go out there, find more deals and continue to build wealth. Great. So we agree. Okay. So you're talking about it as an income producing asset, but you don't believe in holding. You don't believe in having three homes of your own that are just sitting there hoping that the market will go up and in five years, it'll be worth more. That's not what you're talking about. You're talking about. I mean, yeah, I mean, sure. Like, you know, you're a billionaire with uh, unlimited money and you don't give a shit. And yeah, sure. But like, you know, for the normal person having an asset sitting there, sucking away your cash flow isn't a good thing to have. So that, that is something I would not do. And where are you on? Um, are you always about owning versus renting? Because some people think in situations based on your money being in the market versus being in a property, they would rather rent, not have the property sucking up their money. Yeah, see, that's that's one of those things that we've been seeing a lot over the last couple of years. Don't buy a house and this and that. So here, here's the truth, right? So like, does it make more sense to probably buy some rental properties first before buying a primary residence? It, it probably does. But Let's think about this. We're humans, right? We have families. We're here once. There's more to life than just money. And, and I think owning a home and having pride of ownership um, is very, very important, especially for you know your self-worth, your confidence. And you want to be excited about the place that you live. You want to come home yep. and feel good. So sometimes by owning a house, you know, you actually end up becoming more successful because the way it makes you feel. By the way, I could not agree. I think it's pride. And even if it's like, I'm a person that likes small and perfect, like whatever it is, you know, design within an inch of its life, if it's going to make you feel good, I'm that person too. I'd much rather spend money on the home than on something else, like than a bag or something else. That's, that's very smart. Um, and so now it's all your own money. Do you have investors? Like, how does that all work? And how did it work in the beginning? And, you know, have you gotten caught holding the bag? Like, what's that ride been like? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I got started flipping houses. I came up with the idea in 2010. And I actually pitched the idea of getting a TV show about flipping houses before I ever flipped a house. <laughs> so that was okay. a wild experience. Yeah. Um, so bought my first flip in 2010, bought it at the auction for 115000 That same week that I bought a flip, I went to a real estate convention in Las Vegas. There was about 5,000 people there. And I met a guy. And at the break, he was telling me he had a local TV show. And he got all this business out of it. So I was like, man, I got to get on TV. Two days later, I went home and I just had this crazy idea. Let's get a TV show. I told my ex-wife. She said, TV show about what? I said, well, we just bought our first house to flip. Why don't we flip houses on TV? Nice. She said, she called me crazy. She went to bed. I jumped on Google. Hollywood production companies, they came up, found a button that said casting, sent some pictures. Uh, and next morning I woke up and they said, send a home video. And that's where it all started. Stop. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you're the home very video, like, let's go. I'm the same. You're very like, all right, let's do it. Let's go let's right go. now. Let's go. I believe anything's possible. And if you, you got to go for it every single day or you're never going to go anywhere. So I'm a believer that like, you know, manifestation is a real thing if you're willing to work your ass off. Right. Yes. So, so they respond, send a home video. So we documented that very first slip. Of course they loved it. I didn't know anything about construction. I, I mean, I electrocuted myself. Uh, I burned my feet with acid. I painted all the baseboards to the floor. So I just did everything wrong, but right. I was there. I was there 12, 14 hours a day, got the deal done, start to finish with the buyer, closed under 60 days, 
made $34,000. And for me back then, it was life-changing because yeah. it was getting right out of the Great Recession. Um, in that very first deal, I found a partner and the deal was we went 50-50. The deal went well. So moving forward, I had no money. So he put up all the money. I did all the work. We split 50-50. Amazing. So, that, so that's how we launched the business. Um, and then in 2000, so I shot the pilot. Actually, 10 months after we delivered the home video, we shot a pilot for HGTV. They finally wanted a pilot. Then I was told, you know, the odds of getting a show are small. And if you get a show, it's going to take a long time. So two weeks later, I get a contract for a house flipping show on HGTV where I got to flip 13 houses in 10 months. Sounds exciting, right? No, it sounds very torturous. Sounds Two problems. Two problems. One, I have no idea how to flip houses. Problem two, even if I did, where in the world am I going to get all this money? Cash flow. Yeah. So, you know, I called my lawyer. I said, what's the worst case? He said, they could sue you. I looked around my apartment. I said, they can have it. Signed Ah. that contract, burned the boats that first year. Um, I worked all day. And then overnight, I would drive properties that were going to the auction in the morning to make sure nobody lived there. So from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m., I drove Southern California by myself. And then every morning at 9 a.m., I was at the auction. Unbelievable. And that guy put up that money? He put up that money. And... I kept bringing better and better deals, kept putting up money. And then we became full-blown business partners. Outside of that, we started raising capital and, um, you know, started flipping mid-2010. By 2000, I think, 14, we had as many as 70 to 80 flips going at, at one time. So, you know, I've always changed my life very fast. Same. And I, I'm, I'm a big believer that you can make money very fast. Most people think it's this... 20-year, 10-year thing. I went from being a broke 20-year-old kid living in my mom's garage with cockroaches because I couldn't afford to rent my bedroom Mm -hmm. because my parents got divorced to living in a million-dollar house in 90 days. Yeah, you seem fairly fearless, and you're just like, let's go. Um, And now what's the state of your business? Not the entertainment aspect, but like, it's your money. You still are partners with this guy. What kind of investments are you making? Like, what's going on now? Absolutely. So today, I own nine different brands, and I run nine different brands. But the original company is called Targ Buys Houses. That's where we buy, fix, and flip, and we also wholesale houses. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll probably th- this year the goal is to do in 2024 300 to 350 transactions, and I'm looking to scale that into the thousands over the next couple of years. Majority of the deals I'm doing right now is wholesaling. Are you familiar with wholesaling? No. It's my one of my favorite things about real estate investing, and most people don't get started because they think it takes money. It doesn't take money. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain wholesaling to you. Bethany, let's just say that Bob calls me. He has a fixer-upper. He wants to sell me the house. It needs a lot of work. But when it's fixed up, it's worth 600000 mm-hmm. I agree to buy the house from Bob for 300000 So in the contract, the buyer, Tarek El Musa or assignee. Because I put or assignee, that means I can assign that contract to someone else. So now I got a contract for three hundred. I call you, Bethany. Hey, Bethany, I got this incredible house for four hundred thousand. It needs fifty thousand in work. It's worth six hundred. Do you want it? Yeah, I want it. So now Bethany buys the house from Bob, but I get the difference in contract price, which mm. in this case is a hundred thousand dollars. The great thing is I don't have risk. Why? I didn't take a mortgage. I have no skin in the game. There's no loan. There's no carrying cost. It's like being a diamond broker. You just have the contacts. Like same thing, by the way, selling handbags on the secondary market. No one knows where to go, who who the buyer is. You just know you're going to these people that are taking 25% because you just want to get rid of your Hermes bag. But that, they know where all the people are and that's a service. That is that, if they, they deserve the money because I don't know who the hell Jane is who wants the bag. 
Exactly. And that's the beautiful thing. So I have, I have a company called Homeschooled by Tark where I teach people how to wholesale houses, how to flip houses. And it's the most beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. When you when you have someone come in that knows nothing about real estate, that's struggling, that can't make their, their rent, and you watch them over a year period completely flip their life. Because they can hustle and find the people in between. That is a skill set. Yeah. They don't have to touch anything. Let me tell you how easy house flipping is, right? Most people, they overcomplicate everything. And that's why most people don't get started. Like I have this gift of simplifying things. So Here's how you flip houses. There's two ways to find them. Way number one, you talk to people that own them. Mm-hmm. Way number two, you talk to people that sell them. So if you can talk to people that own houses and sell houses and ask them, do you have any fixer uppers I can buy? You can flip houses. Mm-hmm. Two, funding. You can raise private private money or you just wholesale it once you get the contract. Phase three, well, I'm not fixing the house. Can someone hire a, a contractor with references and experience to fix up the house? Yeah, of course. Step four, you got to sell a house. Well, I'm not selling a house. Can someone hire a real estate agent to listen and sell that house? Yeah. So what is house flipping? House flipping is being good at finding deals. It's like being a producer of a film puts together all the elements and they sit at the board. Yeah, it's like that. That's it. There are different ways. I um, I have unintentionally flipped houses because... One I did with Frederick, which did really, which did very well in a market that was changing. Um, because you're increasing value if you're willing to do the work, as you know, that's the thing that people don't want to do. But for me, I'll look in a space that I know that's like right near my house, a neighborhood, an area that I know that I'm passionate about, and I always choose something that I would live in, that I would definitely, if the shit hit the fan, have a better property I could sell and that I'd be willing to live there, that I'm passionate about, that I'm excited about it, that I like as like another like jewel box project. And then because I'm so into it and I'm passionate about it, I'll either use it or live there or sell it, which happened during the pandemic. I found a place for myself in Connecticut that ended up being a little smaller than what I would need. But because it had all my finishing touches and my passion, um, I was able to sell it for a lot of money. And it happened. I did it twice. So that was, I get a little more personal about it. Like most people are dispassionate. I have to get really passionate about it. Yeah. And there's different types of investors, right? There's more of the passionate investor. And then they're more of the, I want to just build wealth and I don't care about the emotional side investor, right? Exactly. But I can't yeah. get into it unless I'm into it because I need to be able to ride both lines. Like know that, you know what I'm saying? Like I can't just get into it for like an industrial reason, just mentally. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we might need to work on that. Well, it's a side thing because I don't want, like I don't, lo- I love it, but only, I only love it if it's something I really like for me. So I, I just like the safety aspect. If I'm overbuying, like I bought a house out of like a passionate reason, I like the safety aspect of knowing I could dump it. You know what I mean? That's It's sort of more of like that. 100%. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you've had some struggles. It says you lived in a halfway house. You were addicted to steroids. You went through a cancer scare. We'll get into it individually. But in talking to you now, I'm realizing how you were addicted to steroids. You know, looking back, reflecting uh, on my life, you know, I'm 42 years old today. And looking back, like I see all the mistakes, right? So throughout my entire life, severe ADHD, suffer with anxiety, um, always had issues with sleep. Uh, My late teen years, I had major sleep issues, which... Uh, I started drinking so I could fall asleep, which then mm. in turn turned me into a raging alcoholic, which then mm-hmm. in turn caused me to gain 60 pounds, which then in turn made me hate myself. Um, so from 18 to 20, I was rock bottom, looked in the mirror, cried every day, hated myself, gained 60 pounds, wow. clothing wouldn't fit. Girls stopped looking at me, stretch marks on my body. It was mm. rock bottom. And I thought, this is it. You peaked in high school. Your life is over. And I beat the shit out of myself every single day. Um, and then one day, actually the, the beginning of flipping my life for the first time was when I was living at my mom's house in that garage because she rented out my bedroom and this guy moved in from Texas, tattoos head to toe in my old bedroom. And I see, I see him walking through the kitchen one day. He says, Hey, you want to work out tomorrow? And I'm 60 pounds overweight. Like I'm big. And just to blow him off, like most people, I'm like, yeah, sure. And I'm thinking we're going to go do a couple pushups the next day. Seven o'clock comes. He's like, you ready? I'm like, yeah, let's go to the garage. I have dumbbells. He goes, no, we're going to the gym. 
I went to the gym that night for two hours. I almost died. The next night he made me go. The next night he made me go. Three weeks later, I started gaining hope. Six weeks in, my body was changing and I was back. Wow. Okay. So that was the first hit. Um, and that was another, it feels like that was extreme too. Now you're like addicted to the gym, you know, like you need something to be focusing on. The sleep thing is a big discussion that probably led to like you had issues with hormones and sleep does lack of sleep does lead to so many problems and, and weight gain in particular, because you're eating, people are eating their feelings or they think they're hungry. They're just exhausted. It's like feeding themselves. Um, after I'm going to tell you like my, I've, I've always had struggles with sleep and it's a discipline. And I want to tell you after what what I do. And I'm even in 2024, I have a new sleep. I always have some new sleep regimen that's yeah. working. I go deeper. I, I love it. I, I love that, that you just said that. Like I, I, by the way, I finally mastered my sleep over the last six months. I've figured it out. I'm going to sleep at the same time. I'm waking up at the same time. And for the first time I'm sleeping between, okay. between like, you know, four and a half and six hours a night. So it, it's been just beautiful. And that's not even a ton, but are you, okay. So do you take anything now to sleep? <laughs> So the interesting thing is I was taking all these different sleeping pills. And what would happen is I would take them. I'd fall asleep 30 minutes later. I'd wake up in this weird, like delusional state where like, I I mean, it's just torture if anyone's been through it. And this is how I overcame it. So a lot of the sleep anxiety, as you know, with insomnia, it's like you're in bed at nine o'clock, nine 30, 10 o'clock. Right. And then you're falling asleep and oh shit, it's 11, 1130. And then it starts getting later. And then you start thinking about the morning. I'm going to get no sleep. Oh my God. Counting. So here's what I did. Cause I was waking up at six 30 every day. And one day I said, you know what? I'm going to wake up so obnoxiously early. I can't be stressed out the night before because I'm going to have so much free time in the morning. So I started waking up and it was torture at like 4am. But here's what happened. The first two weeks were awful because I'd fall asleep at 11, 12, 1. But I, no matter what, I'd have to wake up at 4. No matter what. what. Yeah, I'd make myself this wake up crazy. at 4. And then what happened was my body became so exhausted, I eventually started falling asleep. But I had to wake up at 4. Oh, you like had to do, you did like a boot camp for yourself to try to like jolt. A, a, ex- exactly. Reset the body. So by waking up at 4, I got rid of my anxiety of, okay, I got to wake up at 6 and I got to be at the gym at 7. I'm going to be rushed, right? So by waking up at 4, I knew I was going to have a peaceful morning. And then wow. what happens is you, you just get so tired. Eventually, it's 10 o'clock at night and you've woken up at 4 a.m. for the past two weeks. Naturally, I started falling asleep. And that's how I fixed my sleeping problem. And now... I have fallen in love with the mornings. The most exciting part of my day is like sometimes I'll wake up at three and I'm excited to get up because between three and 6.30 a.m., it's peace. I got the fire going. It's black outside. I can create. I can think. Let me tell you what I did because it's different, (laughs) but uh, there are many roads to Rome. So yes, I've used the apps. I think the apps are great. I do not take anything. I used to be a person too. I couldn't sleep. I won't take anything. So the first thing for me is to allow yourself that you may not fall asleep. Okay, what's going to happen the next day? Nobody's going to die. You slept four hours. What's You're going to die? Who cares? Like allow that instead of the noise and the mania of I have the Today Show tomorrow. Oh my God. Like that noise had to go. So the noise of it was like what? That was the worst paralysis. That's the first thing. But acceptance. Yeah, like, acceptance, okay. Yeah. So for you years, know, yeah. it's different. I'm getting up at four. It's the sa- Those two things are saying the same thing. It's allowed. No, no but, that's, but, the, but the same thing as you, because I what used to stress me out was thinking, oh, I'm only going to get four hours of sleep. And then one night I realized, well, I'm going to be fine. Okay. So that's the first yeah. thing. It's a boring story. Nobody cares. You didn't sleep. Okay. But then what happened was I started really 
watching, listening to the stupid things people say, watching TV in a different room. There's, do not watch TV in my space. And then I put my phone on a curfew, like at nine o'clock. But again, if I wanted to go on the phone, that's fine, but not have it come in my room. Go to it, like going to the fridge to eat the cake. Like you still have to go to the other room. You may not want to eat the cake, but you at least have to walk your ass into the kitchen to get it, which is an effort. So now it's like you want to go see the phone. You thought of something. You go to the phone like a notebook to go to it and then go back to your space. So I gave my phone a nine o'clock curfew that, yes, you can break sometimes. Like it's not, no one's going to die, but it's, that's a game changer. And then I have a sleep, like a cabinet. I've had this forever in another closet. It's a warming cabinet and it warms these um, like herbal neck pillows. Okay. I, right before I go to sleep, I get it. I put it around my neck, the warmth and the herbs, it's like calms you down and I breathe in and out and you can't get to five breaths, like heavy, deep breaths and you pass out and I myself too, like wind it down at nine o'clock. The phone's curfew is kind of mine. I'm not fucking around in my room on anything because there's no TV and no phone. And I end up sleeping minimum seven, seven and a half hours a night. It's changed my that's, life. That's, that's beautiful. And most people, if they, if they would just understand by creating a sleep schedule, the rest of their life would be so much easier. Beyond, beyond, like it's, a t- it's so important. And again, I went out to a premiere two nights ago and I went to bed at one o'clock and it did, you know, it wasn't as easy to get to sleep, but no one died. I was tired. And, you know, and I find that when you're on a sleep schedule, you're napping, you can nap, you can watch TV and your body will fall asleep. Cause once you start to allow yourself to sleep, you're more tired sometimes at other times, like your body's more relaxed versus being manic. Absolutely. I, I, honestly, I couldn't agree more. Like the number one focus is 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 sleep. Like number I even one. have this whoop thing on and every night, you know, I'm yes. competing, trying to get more sleep. Yes. My fiance, Paul, has the whoop. He loves it and tells you you're, you're in a deficit. Yeah. You did this. I have a sleep tracker that's under the mattress and it just basically says like what happened. It's not as detailed as that. People do the aura ring. It's all good. You intervened yeah. in your life and you lived in a halfway house. Um, For me, you know, I lost everything, you know, um, when? and you know, I, I, um, uh, in 2016, the day my ex-wife left me and, you know, um, I lost everything mostly because of me and my actions and, and the way I, I treated people. And, and, you know, I went through a lot with the cancers and the steroids and I 100% was not myself by any means. Uh, but at the same time, I wasn't the best guy. So there's a lot of, you know, understanding of, you know, why my ex-wife left me, but you know, it broke me. You know, I was in love with her. I was in love with my family. I was in love with the life we built. And I I felt like it was taken away from me without any notice. And I wasn't expecting it. I didn't see it because I was so spun out of my mind all the time with racing thoughts from all this testosterone and all these pills and just so much shit, you know, I was going through. Um, and it just broke me. So I was at a point where I didn't know what was going on. I was, I was living on my boat actually at the time. Um, cause I had to leave my house and I wasn't doing well. And I was at the point where I, I, I needed help. I didn't trust myself. So, uh, I, I, I checked myself into that halfway house and it was an experience. You know, I was, you know, fairly, uh, you know, successful, famous TV shows and I'm living with crackheads and heroin addicts and I have to do laundry. I'm getting, you know, alcohol tested. I, there's curfew and it was definitely an experience. How long were you there? Um, I was in that, I, I believe I was there for about 60 days. I was there for about 60 days. And who suggested that? Uh, it was actually Dr. Drew. Really? Yeah, yeah. I was on uh, the back of my boat with a couple of my buddies one day. Mid-conversation, you know, I just 
fell over, passed out, hit the deck. Uh, when I came to, you know, literally hit the deck of the boat. Well, yeah, yeah, that's an expression, but that, yeah, yeah. Next thing I know, my friend puts the phone on my ear, and it's Doctor Drew. And next you thing didn't I know, know I, asked, him? I, I, I knew, uh, I knew of him, but I didn't okay. know him. Uh huh. Um, and next thing I know, I'm talking to Doctor Drew, and next thing I know, I'm, I'm checking into a facility. Wow. So the halfway house is a facility. And was your ex-wife supportive? Was she too, like, traumatized on her own, on her own journey? Like, She was way too traumatized on her own. And she was on her own journey. Uh, and that was the most difficult part. You know, it, um, it, was just, it was just too far gone. And no matter what I did, it was just too late. So, it, you know, I, yeah, it was very, very tough experience. But you know what? I wouldn't change it. You know, it, it changed my life, um, took away all these fears and all these anxieties and all these stresses and every single thing I was always worried about and stressed about literally disappeared the day she walked out. And I realized none of it mattered. Nothing mattered. You know, you mean because you lost it all and you were still alive? Like, you, you didn't have to worry about like the thought of everything. There just was nothing. So like you were at, at, that was, that was the real bottom. Is that what you mean? No, meaning everything that would cause stress or pain in my life. You know, when she left me, I realized that wasn't stress. That wasn't pain. Her leaving me was the real pain. And, oh. and now, you know, I've been through so much pain when something bad happens, I reflect, right. And it's nowhere near as painful as the shit I've experienced. So I'm just so much stronger today. I so relate to that because I had a very gnarly 10-year divorce, but it was so bad. And I grew up in a very abusive, like dysfunctional, drug, alcohol, like eating disorder, everything, childhood. This was so bad that like, I, I couldn't imagine surviving and I couldn't imagine my life being anything but like how bad it was. It just could you couldn't, it was that golf thing I told you about. But like when it was free, it was such freedom. When it was over, it was yeah. like, I mean, that I understand what you're talking about. Like, you're just like, oh, my God, I survived this thing. I don't want to survive yeah. anything else, but I kind of could. Like, you survived that thing. It, it, exactly, right? It's all that reflection. So, like, I look, you know, I got my cancers in 2013. They removed my thyroid. All I, my, I was, my emotions were all over the place because your thyroid regulates everything. Mm -hmm. And then they removed my thyroid, and then they, they started taking synthetic medication. But later on, I turned out I was totally under-medicated. So I had uh, uh, depression, brain fog, fatigue. I wasn't myself. And then I went through the two surgeries of thyroid cancer and testicular cancer. And I wasn't feeling good. And then a, a couple months later, I started feeling better. I went out to golf one day. This is in the book. Took a swing. Went to pick up my ball. Next thing I know, my back went out. I was having the round of my life. The, the round of my life. I've never played golf like I did that day. So I said, I'm going to keep going. Went to the next hole. Took a swing hit the ground screaming. Oh and, my God. And for the next year and a half of my life, it was, it was worse than cancer, to be honest, because I was taking, you know, 10 to 12 Dilaudid or Vicodin or Percocet every single day. Uh, if you watch early seasons of my shows, you'll see me go from 240 pounds from cancer to 165 pounds from the pain pills and the opiates. Didn't you get sick getting off of it? Um, um, you know, I, yeah, I, you know, I, I actually, I quit cold Turkey the day that my back got better and, and I didn't know I, I did okay when I got off of it. But when I was on it, like I was, I was an, I was not a good human. Oh my gosh. Like that stuff is toxic, but 
the pain I was experiencing oh. from my back was like nothing I ever experienced in my life. And then I had the surgery. I came home uh, the night of the surgery and then there was complications. My urinary tract was blocked. I thought my bladder was going to explode. I had to call the ambulance to go back to the hospital. So my family, you know, we just went through so much with two cancers and back surgeries and opiates When you say my steroids. family, you mean your ex and your kids or your parent? Like, who's your family? Everybody. 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 So you have a time. good, you have a decent, despite all this, you have a decent support system. Absolutely. My, my parents are fantastic. Um, they've always been big supporters of me. My fam family's number one for me. Mm -hmm. But during those, during those years, like, I, I look back and I was, I was so gone because... I had so many different chemicals in my body Ugh. and not, and then I didn't have my hormones. I didn't have my thyroid. I was on testosterone. I was Ugh. taking opiates. I was suffering with anxiety and it just like, I, I was, I was dying inside. I mean, I was. When, I, when was this? When was the pinnacle of this? What year? Uh, 2016. Okay. So and not that long ago. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah. It's almost seven years ago now. No, almost eight years ago now. Wow. And what is. Right. You were like in a cloud and a fog, but functioning in business because probably in the first thing in the morning, you can get shit done by the end of the day. Yeah. yeah. And I and honestly, I just come home at night, go up to my office, stare at the wall and turmoil and pain for no reason whatsoever. Oh, my Major, God. Like, like, you know, mental health, depression, all these things are real, you know. Um, and and I've, I've I've experienced, you know, a lot of different things. You know, I was actually on bipolar medicine for for nine years. You have had a lot of crap in your body. Is there anything in your body now where you're like completely like clean of stuff? Je uh, I do. I do take ADHD, uh, ADHD medicine and that's, that's all I take. And I started taking that two years ago and man, what a vast improvement. So I started taking ADHD medication for the first time when I was 17. So I got into some trouble when I was 17, uh, ended up going to juvenile hall for a little bit. Um, and when I got back, when I got out, they sent me to the doctor, it turns out I had ADHD and they, they started me on this medicine and like overnight, my, my GPA went from a 2.0 to 3.8. Wow. Like overnight I was calmer. I was eight, but then like, I don't even know. It was so strong. I was a walking zombie. Like I completely changed my personality. And then what happened was when I turned 18, they said, if I wanted to keep taking my medicine, I had to go see the doctor because I was an adult now. Of course, I said no, right? So now looking back, that's why I went into that free fall. That's why I gained 60 pounds. That's dangerous. That's like going off your bipolar medicine or something. Like you went off your medicine and you aren't thinking straight. So you made your own decision based on bad judgment. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's what I did. And then I went on that downhill spiral until Justin came into my life and forced me to go to the gym. And then Two years ago, you know, just very overwhelmed and I decided to give it a shot again. And man, it's been such a game changer for me. The ADHD medicine. Wow. So yeah, there's a mental health situation here. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. 
So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible Uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So your ex-wife, are you friends? You co-parent? Do you have a decent relationship now, Christine? Yeah, we're actually doing the 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 best we ever have, which is which is fantastic. You know, uh, her and I, we communicate regularly. We get along. We're extremely friendly. Um, you know, Christine and, and my wife Heather communicate all the time. They get along great, and it's and it's been really really good for the last I'd say about two two and a half years. So you have a good blending, blended situation, and your ex is remarried too. Yeah, yeah, she's uh, she's remarried. Um, yeah, she's remarried. Okay, because I feel like the whole thing has been public, and I've seen it in the periphery, but I don't know about it. Did, who did she marry? Didn't she marry well, someone? She yeah. had her own thing go on. Yeah, so she, I mean, she got remarried twice. So she got married to a gentleman named Aunt Anstead who I'm friends with him now too, and actually okay. had a baby with him. Okay. Um, you know, but talk about difficult, you know, she got with aunt shortly, you know, after we, we separated and, and I was still filming with her and it was a difficult experience watching someone you love grow a baby. Right. Wow. Um, so talk wow. about pain. 
Yeah. yeah. It was very, it was tough. Like, cause I still loved her. Right. Um, and I had to show up every day and watch her belly grow and think, man, like Holy this shit. is tough. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, okay. but you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So unfortunately that marriage didn't work out. Um, and then she got remarried to uh, a gentleman named uh, Josh Hall and, and today they're married and they're, they're filming some shows together. Well, so she, you got a lot of entertainment in this crew. And so you're, you get along with him and her. It's all decent, like pretty good. Yeah, we're all totally good. You know, like, like I said, if you're always dwelling on the past and negative experiences and you have hate, rage, and you're never going to, you're never going to have a happy life. Right. But you're, you're doing all this in the entertainment industry, which makes it like, and in LA, which makes it like double, triple challenging. Like I'm friends with Kyle and Maurice and I watch them on TV and in Beverly Hills with the pressure and the money and the businesses. It's a swirling layered thing. It's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot, you know, but you know, um, I've no, you know, I, like I said, it's acceptance, you know, all the anger and rage, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, guess what? Did I have a part in it? Yeah. Do I need to take some responsibility? Yeah. So is it her fault? No, it's our fault. Well, she must respect the fact that you say that publicly. That's really because everyone wants to blame everybody else. And that's well, not, I don't, that's know rare. I, I don't know if she's ever heard me say that publicly. Oh, okay. Just, well, I just, you know, I just started talking ready. recently. Yeah. You're ready. Yeah, that's that's yeah. nice. It's that's nice. It's nice. It's amazing what time can do to your brain. It, it, it your... is. It is. And that's what I tell people, man. We every people waste their entire lives worried and stressed. And think about it. The shit we were stressed about when we were 18 years old, did any of it matter? Mm-hmm. No. The shit we were stressed about when we were 27, did it matter? No. The shit we're stressed about today, is it going to matter in 10 years? No. No, well, this woman, this woman on TikTok, I have to get her name back cuz it's not fair that I like I'm living by this and I don't remember her name. Um, cause I recognize that you, you, um, gave credit to the, to the person, which we'll talk about who saw that you had a bulging, something bulging in your neck and is responsible for you finding out you had cancer and then you give Dr. Drew credit. But I saw this woman on TikTok and she was saying the amount of time and bandwidth we spend trying to control what other people are doing, saying like, you know, you can only control yourself. And it was very liberating for me. And sometimes you see something at a time you need to hear it. But I thought that is very powerful. 100%. You want to know what changed my life? And it's it's a very simple thing. One word. So I think it was 2017. I'm, I was living in Newport Beach, driving up and down Newport Boulevard, literally just up and down, up and down, up and down, screaming, crying, cursing, hitting my, like, so sad and screaming about how life's not fair. It's not fair. This happened. It's not fair. I got cancer. It's not fair. I hurt my back. It's not fair. She left me. And then it hit me. Life's not fair. Mm. And like in that moment, like this calm came over me. Acceptance started. And I said, life's not fair. Like bad shit happens to good people every day. There there are things happening exponentially worse than what I'm going through Mm -hmm. to people that don't deserve it. Mm -hmm. Life's not fair. So because life's fair, not fair, what do you do? You do the best you can with what you got, Mm -hmm. right? And the second you acknowledge that, you're free. You're free to go out there and build that new life and chase those dreams and rebuild yourself. Well, it's the same thing you're saying about the sleep. It's allowing for it to be, okay, you might not sleep tonight. Okay, you know, it's going to die. Like, it's that happened. This person broke your heart. You were an addict. You fucked up. It happened. You lost my... That's not that like that's what you're effectively saying. You're saying like it's liberating to allow for things to be fucked up. 
It's very yeah. liberating to allow for yourself to get your heart broken or not sleep. It's like it's it's allowing for that versus like trying to hold on to it and have it be so perfect. Exactly. It's acceptance. Like li- like literally, it is impossible to be a highly successful individual without being in a lawsuit at one point in your life. <laughs> right. So what does that mean for anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur? You better expect that one day you're going to be in a lawsuit. So when it comes, don't cry, piss and moan. Say, okay, it's here. Cost of doing business. Yes, totally. Happens to everybody. Yesterday, I let a designer go that I paid most of their fee for a house that I'm doing. And I'm going to give somebody else half what they got. And they're going to do double the work because I got to finish this thing. And I'm mad that I paid that person all this money and they shit the bed. But we are where we are. It's a cost of doing business. I I, I, I can't like <clears throat> want to just stay with that person and fuck up the whole project because I already it, paid them chasing it. Like that's what you're saying. You, you know I mean? It's like we did it. Too exactly. Bad. I'll give you an example. Early on in my career, a contractor would burn me or a sub would burn me. I would spend months fighting over $1,500, hundreds of hours and energy and letters and anger and hate and rage today. It happened. I said, bye, next. It happened, exactly. You waste the money. Yeah, exactly. You'll waste more money staying on the road. Totally. Yeah, we we have a a lot of things in common, like with this uh, philosophy. So Heather, Heather is your wife. She's also on TV with you. And like, this is another entertainment uh, relationship. Yeah, and it's funny because it's totally it was totally random. Um, I, I randomly met Heather. I didn't know about her show. It wasn't a setup. She was she was living in I think Sweden, uh, dating a hockey player. Okay. Um, at the time, well, not at the time, but right before I met her. So it's Fourth of July, two thousand nineteen. We're at Woody's Bar, in Newport Beach, and it's like party, and the fire's going, and people are dancing, and it only fits like five boats. Luckily, mm-hmm. I, I got a spot. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm mid-conversation and out of the corner of my eye, I just see this beautiful blonde girl with these braids. And like mid-conversation, I stop talking. I beeline right to her. And of course, I'm feeling confident because it's my yacht. Yeah. <laughs> um, I put my hand out. I go, hi, I'm Tarch. She goes, oh, I know who you are. And I'm Ooh. thinking, all right. Yeah, all right. This is good. Good, good. Thank God for TV. Mm-hmm. And then she goes, you asked me out two years ago. Don't you remember? <laughs> so shit. I said, where'd I ask you out? She goes, she goes, Instagram. So I said, one second. So I put my back to her, pulled up Instagram. Look, she responded. She had a boyfriend. So I spun back around and said, you still got that boyfriend? She said, no. Mm. So I was really excited. A couple cocktails in. So I said, hey, you want to go to Paris? She said, no. What? <laughs> I said, you want to? Okay. I said, okay. You want to go to Las Vegas? Want to do something fun? She goes, I'm not going anywhere overnight with you. I said, okay. You want to do dinner? She goes, maybe. So then we start talking um, and we started getting into like a good conversation. And then this, you know, like, Wasted 21-year-old girl comes over and just was being obnoxious. Uh, so Heather got bothered and she left. And she went back to the boat next to me. So now I'm sitting there sulking because I hadn't seen one girl in like four years that I was like, wow. Um, and then I look on the boat next to me and I see her and this other guy, this like good-looking guy with nice pretty hair and shade. They're laughing. She's throwing her hair back. Oh, and no. I'm watching and, and I'm watching my my future wife be stolen, right? And I said, yeah. Oh hell no, I'm not going down like that. So I go to the wheelhouse, I find the horn, and I laid on that sucker, the whole bar jumped, like the whole like everybody jumped. And they and I stuck my head out the sunroof and I and I yelled at the guy to get off my girl. <laughs> Um, luckily, luckily, Heather thought it was funny because they started laughing. So then I walked out to them. The guy tells me, big fan, walks away. I was like, thank God. Oh, my God. And then I got her number. 
There you go. I don't number, like in uh, Goodwill Hunting. And that was it. it. You were together, and the end is the rest is history. Well, she canceled our first date. It was okay. two weeks after. She said, I'm not ready, blah, blah, blah. And I just sent her one text message. I said, I'm, I'm different than you think. You should give mm-hmm. it a shot. Okay. So a week later, she said she'll give it a shot. I said, let's do dinner. She said, no, I'll go for a drink. I don't think she wanted to spend that much time with me. Mm-hmm. So I show up. It's the middle of summer. There's a heat wave. But I know I look good in this one blue sweater I wear every Christmas. So I'm not mm-hmm. thinking about the heat wave. I go to dinner in this blue sweater and the whole dinner. I'm just sweating. My heart's pounding. I'm having anxiety. I'm acting like a weirdo. And, and finally, because you know, I'm an anxious guy. Finally, she goes, are you okay? I'm like, no, I am not okay. She goes, let's just get drunk. I said, I like that. So we ended up having a couple of drinks, hung out until like three in the morning, talked the entire way home on FaceTime. Uh, four days later, we moved in together. And this is it. You've been together and then you got married and here we are. And it's a great relationship. Yeah. And uh, our son turns a year old in a couple of days. So you have a baby. And how old are your other kids? Taylor is 13 years old. I can't oh, believe it. I have a 13 year old. Oh, my gosh. So much fun. I am mm-hmm. so obsessed with my daughter. And, you know, we're talking about divorce, right? And talking about pain. I never would be the father I am today if I didn't go what, what, go through what I went through. I was not connected with my daughter when she was younger. I was working all the time and I felt so shitty about myself. Mm-hmm. And, and what I learned is all I had to do was invest the time. It's completely an ROI. What everything you put in, you get out. Like my daughter had a bad day yesterday. She's 13. And I was texting her like, you know, because sometimes you want to problem solve with these kids instead of just being there for them so they because they feel safe. If, if you yeah. problem solve, they feel alienated. And so she came home and I just gave her like the most gigantic hug and was like, I'm here for you. How can I help? Like, how can I help for a 13 year old? Because they want to yell at you and be frustrated. No, mom, it's not. I'm like, how can I help you? Whatever I can do. It really works. Yeah, no, I, I love it. It's investing the time. And like today, me, and my daughter, like since she was five years old, you know, we, we've been like best friends, you know, I mean, we're so close and me and my son, we're so close. And it, it's the most rewarding feeling in the world. He's eight years old. So you have a 13 and eight and a one. You have a beautiful family and the blending is going well and they accept your story, your past. And like, it's, you're in a good spot right now. Perfect time to launch a book. Yeah. Every, everything is just going so well right now. Um, personally, like, you know, I, I got, I got what I've always wanted. It was, it was my family back. You know, like, I feel like I have a family again, which I do have a family. We're a family of five. We had a dog. It feels good. You know, I didn't like being on my own. I was just lost. It's, yeah. it, it, I was, I mean, it was just, it wasn't fun, you know, and, and just to, to have Heather in my life and in my kids' lives and, and to have this family I have, I'm just very blessed. So you have a family, you are sleeping and you are successful and you're at peace. So it's a good, good, good story. All right. Well, it was so nice to meet you. So honored to like hear your story and and talk to you. And um, I really appreciate it. And I wish you the best of luck on the book and in life. Absolutely. It was a great, great chatting with you. I've been a big fan of you for many years and uh, it's been exciting to watch what you've done. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Great, great story and amazing, like happy, not ending, but happy moment in time. Oh, just getting started. Wait till the second book. Exactly. Awesome. The next one will be called Life Isn't Fair. Awesome. Thank you so much. After the flip. All right. We'll see you. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Thanks. Tarek was very, very interesting, very open, very raw, very vulnerable. 
What a ride. Young guy for such a story. Cancer, addiction, breakup, loss, halfway house, ADHD, money. I mean, wow. This guy has a story of 10 people's lives. So Puerto Rico is a beautiful place. It's a lush island. It's great for surfing. It's got a culture. Like you feel like you've really gone somewhere far and you don't need a passport, which honestly I do really enjoy. It's a beautiful island. The people are amazing. The food is amazing. The water, the beaches, the vibe. It's a great place. It really is. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 